Well, I thought I'd start with five things you may not know about me, which could be a lot, considering I don't know you guys that well. I'm the children youth pastor at Lakewood Alliance Church, which is something you can Google off our website, so that's not one of the five things. <laughs> I was thinking of five things that are just something random. One, I was born in Williams Lake. Big, bustling town of Williams Lake. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Two, at one point in my life, I lived in this great little street called Covered Wagon Trail, and I went to an elementary school called North Oyster Elementary. Thank you, Vancouver Island. <laughs> three, we have four children, which maybe some of you knew, but I have three Canadians in that bunch, and I have one American. And no, we didn't adopt her. <laughs> four, I love to travel. Love. It started with this little travel bug when I was 16 years old and got the opportunity to go with one kid from every school in Prince George and in Williams Lake and in Cornell to travel across the world to what was supposed to be at the time, China. Now, this is how old I am. Tiananmen Square happened that year. <laughs> so we didn't get to go to China. We went to Thailand instead. And it began this unbelievable passion for seeing the world, seeing other cultures, see how other people do things. And one of the things that's my five, in fact, I love seeing how other cultures worship. Going to different churches to see how they encounter God. One of the most fun spaces was Kenya. Kenya, everything is big and loud and moving. And I remember my team, we were part of a missions team there, and we stood there watching. And they got more and more dancing and dramatic and just loving the Lord in that space. And I honestly thought that they felt like we were just killing the mood. <laughs> It was so hard, but our team was like, well, we don't know what to do. This is not what we do in our church. <laughs> so worship is one of those fascinating personal experiences with God, isn't it? Where we all come in from all different kinds of directions and experience something with him. Sometimes that we can explain and sometimes that we can't. One of my first memories of asking about worship with my parents, when I think I was probably maybe six Maybe six. I remember asking, there's this little girl at our church, she was about two and a half, who always had her hands in the air every song, all the time. And I remember saying to my mom and dad, why does she do that? Like, why are her hands always up? And their answer was, which was quite logical, was that because her parents do that, so she emulates her parents. And for some reason, in my head, that meant that there was a certain age appropriateness about raising your hands, and two and a half was not it. And I don't know why. It's not like they said anything like that. But that's where my brain went with that. And yet, as we've raised our children, I have loved the fact that from the time they've been very little all the way up, they raise their hands whenever they want to. Worship is such a personal space. And I love that as we've been going through your series, you guys have been doing Encountering Jesus, that today we get to look at an incredibly cool worship space. One woman's response to who God is and some other people in the room's responses to her. Before we do that, let's just pray. Father, we thank you that as we come together and as we open your word, that you are here. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of our hearts? We don't want to come acting like we know everything. We want to come ready to learn from you this morning. And whatever it is you want to teach us, God, we come to you with open hands and saying, please teach May the things I say this morning be your words, and please not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, well, as we start into our story, a little bit of background on some things. Oh, we skipped a slide already. Oh, that's great. So is my scripture there? Nope. 
Sure, I'll be right back for two seconds. Okay, we're good to go now. <laughs> Note to self, when you speak in someone else's church, check and make sure your slides went okay. <laughs> that is totally my bad, not yours. All right, here we go. Let's try this again. All right, now we're into the scripture. <laughs> if you have your Bible, it's in John. It's in chapter 12. I did the NIV translation, I think. Maybe. I tend to do NLT, so we'll see what this is. It may not match what you have there. Anyway, six days before the Passover celebration began which is an important timeline when we think about that because of where Jesus is heading and what's going to happen in the next little while. Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Now, the last time I was here speaking, we talked about that story, the man he had raised from the dead. And I love it that we talk, well, we're going to go there, talk a little bit about how it's Lazarus' story, but as you think about it, Lazarus was dead. So in some ways, the story, the chapter before and chapter 11, isn't really Lazarus' story, is it? He's been sick, he has died, and he's in a tomb. And the story that we're given so much information on in that chapter is really about his sisters, Martha and Mary, and their interaction with Jesus. And we talked so much about how Jesus was calling Mary to trust him in a new level and in a new way. And calling Martha to step out in ways that she hadn't before. And Martha went and had all this conversation with him, and Jesus had spoken to her and challenged her and called her into story with him. And then she went home and she grabbed Mary, and Mary, seeing Mary's face and the crowd around them, Jesus wept. And then called out and raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, in Lazarus' story, he was sick, he died, next thing he's coming out of a tomb. <laughs> But the encounter of that story, really, in a lot of ways, is the two sisters and their story with Jesus. So now it's just before Passover, and a lot of commentaries think that this banquet has been called or is being held because it's a celebration that Lazarus is alive. Why not? Doesn't it seem like a good time to have a party? Bring everybody together and let's celebrate that Lazarus has lived. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Oh, Martha, that servant heart, the chance to use her gifts to love on him and love on everyone at that dinner, now again showing herself and among them. It's interesting, in other accounts, they don't think this was at Lazarus' house. Matthew and Mark say that it was in Simon the leper's home. Oh, details, but maybe it wasn't so much that she was supposed to be serving, but that she just wanted to serve. Her own way of worshiping the things that Jesus had done and who he was. So as they're all sitting around the table, they're all hanging out, having this time, this moment happens. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume and made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Now imagine, if you will, that there's a lot of people at this space. 
Everybody's hanging out, chatting, having conversations. They're like, were you there when the Lazarus thing happened? Because I don't know if I was there. What happened in that space? Did you see what Jesus did? These kinds of conversations are the basic, how's dinner going? How's the family? What's happening with your world? Everybody's moving and talking and congregating. And maybe at the first they don't notice. But Mary walks in. That she gets to Jesus' feet. And she begins to put this perfume, this oil, all over his feet. And then she undoes her hair. And she begins to wipe his, hair, his feet with her hair. An act and a moment in time between her and her Savior. I don't know in that moment if she even knew anyone else was in the room. I don't know that she even thought about the fact that this was abnormal or unusual. She was just worshiping the one that had done so much for her. She had sat at his feet and she'd learned from him. He'd been the one that had loved them and cried with them and raised their brother from the dead. Everything in her knew that she needed to let him know how incredibly important he was to her. Sure, it was expensive, but it wasn't enough for him. It wasn't even enough to anoint his head, but rather his feet. And to the rest in the room, it may have been nothing that caught their attention until the smell, the fragrance that filled this room of the one that was worshiping at Jesus' feet. Oh, it was unusual worship. <laughs> when someone came into a home, they would wash your feet with water and anoint your head with oil. But it happened long before the dinner began. You don't touch feet during dinner. Oh, it was different. It was different because she'd unbound her hair and she was cleaning her, his feet with her hair. Women in this culture don't do that. Prostitutes, loose women, let their hair down in public. And there she was, at his feet, with her hair undone, worshiping her Lord. Now to those in the room, it may have been one of those moments of, wow, look at what she's doing. For some of Mora, what is she doing? And why? But it wasn't the point, was it? No, it's unadulterated, clean, holy worship of a man that deserved it in her heart and her mind. And she was fully immersed and fully lost in that moment. And then this. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and given money given to the poor. Oh, theft of a moment, don't you think? Beautifully, lovingly caring for her Lord in that moment. And the whole room knew 
And maybe they all become quiet at the uniqueness and difference for sure. And then there's the voice. Really, the accuser. The one that always takes the things that we try to do or that God has done and twists it. And says this thing, you know, it should have been sold and money given to the poor. How dare you do this? There are better ways of spending this money. And as I was processing this story, I have to admit, I might have gone with him on that. It's logical, isn't it? Well, duh, the money should have been given to the poor. I would have been easily swayed in that moment to that. I think he's probably right. How dare she waste something so costly and so beautiful on him? And I wonder in that moment what she did. Maybe the hands that have been so lovingly wiping his feet with her hair stopped. And maybe the redness in her cheeks began. And the trembling of humiliation and shame. I love how the author wants us to know why he said it. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. This man who had spoken up so abruptly really had no sense of God, no sense of the movement of the Holy Spirit, no sense of the awe of this kind of worship, but rather played the role that has been played in so many generations of the accuser, who over and over again said, how dare she? Or did God really say? Or are you sure you're hearing the right thing from the Holy Spirit? Maybe you're wrong. Maybe it's not right. Maybe it's not appropriate. But all from a heart of, I need that money. I want that money. This is all about me. Oh, the heart cry of a woman who just wanted to show her love for her God. And the voice that was so willing to break into that moment and destroy I love the response. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Echoing through the ages of leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. The hands that had stilled the redness on the face, the heart that was pounding, the humiliation that was there, heard her Savior say over her, leave her alone. And she began to do it again and to love. Some accounts say that she wept over him. This woman that had listened to the Spirit that knew exactly what she wanted to do, but I'm guessing probably didn't even know why. Jesus knew why. She did this in preparation for my burial. I'm sure in that moment her head's going, wait, what? (laughs) But he knew, and she knew that she was just supposed to, that she was supposed to be moved by the Spirit and worship how she was called to. And when the enemy had tried to take that from her, 
he gifted it back. He loved on her. He allowed her to continue. One account says that the, her story will be told wherever the gospel is told, her story will be told. This beautiful, beautiful moment of worship. Mary had known Jesus. She had walked with Jesus. She had talked with Jesus. She experienced new life with Jesus. This was her outpouring of worship to him. And really, the leave her alone was the blessing. The blessing on her of a man who knew that this was right and this was appropriate. No matter what those in the room might think, this is the way it was supposed to be, is supposed to be. It's funny how we do that, don't we? We all have, and every culture does, our sense of right and wrong when it comes to worship. Who should, who shouldn't, how it should work, what it should look like. And we not only judge ourselves by that, we judge other people by that. And yet in that moment, in something that seems so out of the normal, so not okay for their culture, so weird and strange that she does this for him, and Jesus says, this is right. And this is appropriate. And it's okay. I think it's important to know that she just lived that out with him. There are many other stories in Scripture where men and women did that, lived that out with them, and people called them on that. And yet we're called to extravagantly love and worship God. So what is it that holds us back? And I'm not saying that in this room we all need to break out in dancing. I'm not. <laughs> what are the things that Scripture warns us about? One, Scripture says that if our heart is not in the right place, don't bother. Thanks, but don't show up. In Isaiah, it says this, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, and their hearts, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is nothing than man-made rules learned by rote. In Psalm 51, David says, I would bring you sacrifices, but you don't want sacrifices. You want a contrite heart, a repentant heart. Where does worship begin? Worship begins in our hearts, dealing with our sin calling ourselves truthfully before the Lord, having a one-on-one -on -one conversation so that we know we're in that space and we're putting oil on his feet. He's hearing the truth of our worship. Worship, like Mary, also begins with abandon and not caring about the things around you and what people might think. It's our hearts and it's forgetting what other people might think. Now, I know that that's a difficult thing because in my life, that's a difficult thing. I like it when people like me. I like it when I'm the parent that makes sense to everybody else around them. I like it when I'm the wife that everybody thinks is a great wife. I like it when I'm doing things that are all the right and appropriate things. I don't like it when I make decisions for my family or things that I know are right but are going to feel a little weird. When I ask people to ask me questions, 
And then it causes them to wonder about why I'm doing things or where I'm coming from. My kids go to a Christian school, and I think so often at school, I'm that family. I don't like that feeling. And I battle that every day, reminding myself again and again that it doesn't matter what people think. It matters what my God thinks about me, my family, and how we do life. That's what worship is. Worship is about what matters between you and God. And maybe it's an extravagant thing where you take something that's super costly and you use it for the worship of the Lord. Maybe it's worshiping God in a way that doesn't say anything about anybody around you, but just because you know Jesus would love you for that. Worship is knowing your Savior like Mary did. The details of his feet. That one day, not long after this, will be nailed to a cross. Mary's encounter with Jesus was personal, heartfelt. And even when the enemy tried to steal it from her, she remained in that place with him. There's another story of another man in the Old Testament who, as they were bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant back into town, was exuberantly dancing and loving the moment, filled with the glory and joy of God again and again and again. And as he's doing this thing, up in the upstairs, there's his wife watching him and judging him for it. And when he comes in to talk to her about it, she mocks him. Look at the honored man, the king, who's doing this unbelievable, terribly thing, worshiping with no kind of thought or constraint, just abandoned. People are going to treat you with disrespect now. How could you? And I love David's response. David said, I was dancing for the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this even to be humiliated in my own eyes. That's the kind of worship that God loves. And the Bible's super clear. Because she attacked her husband in that, she remained barren the rest of her life. God wants our hearts. God wants our worship. And God wants it to be authentic, true, and real, no matter what it looks like to anyone else. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, there are times when we feel like we don't know you well enough. There are times when we feel like we don't have the right to touch your feet. If you only knew the things that we've done, and yet you do know and you love on us anyways. You died for us. You walked that path of pain and misery and suffering so that we might be able to enter into worship of you again and again with abandon wherever it is, whatever it looks like. We want to know you so well that when there's something on our heart that shouldn't be there, that you, we can have a quick conversation, we can deal with it, and we can move on in love with you. Would you call our hearts? Would you show us what worship of you looks like for each one of us?
And would you give us the eyes to see and the hearts to know more and more of you every day. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.